Everybody, welcome back to the Be There in Five podcast. I'm Kate Kennedy, your fearless leader. I, well, actually, that's kind of a weird um, title. I'm like your fearful leader. Are you kidding? Like everything I say on this podcast, I walk away and like want to scream into a pillow. I'm so nervous I'm going to upset somebody. But I guess for now, you can call me your fearless leader. I, I just, I don't know. I feel like it's funny being in a, a forum where you speak off the cuff like even though this isn't live i i try not to over edit it and i don't honestly have time to over edit it but like the all of the people that i hear constantly that are like no filter tell it like it is i'm like are you though because you can't there's no way you can operate in this world this day and age without a filter because even if you're not meaning to be offensive sometimes it's hard to know what's offensive based on you know speaking out of your own personal experience or Joke that doesn't land? I don't know, guys. I just am amazed that there's still so many people that are like, zero Fs, and I'm like, good luck with that, because you got to give Fs in this world, you know? It's better It's better to be that way. As I always say, I could not give more Fs. And uh, I know I played it in like an early on episode, but I just played Little Mix's Black Magic, which is one of my favorite songs. I think the intro is so fun. And that's like the vibe I'm looking for, for royalty-free music. So if anybody hears anything remotely close to that, let me know. I'm, I'm not finding much better than it's fun to party with my friends, which while a bop is kind of a bummer, I don't want this podcast to feel like you're shopping in an H&M. I really prefer something more upbeat. I love this song because it's like, you know, we're a girl group, we're a team, we're chanting, we're upbeat, but like, we're cool. You know, Little Mix isn't Fifth Harmony. They like are actually good friends. So anyway, just, you know, keep me posted. Um, but anyway, I get ahead of myself and excuse the introduction for those of you that have been here a while. I always like to reset and just give my couple minute spiel for those that are new here. So they're, they understand like, who the hell are you at this point that my introduction episode is like, over 50 episodes ago and it's hard with pop culture because it's kind of dated so you know just 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 trying to keep it partially evergreen but partially up to date for those of you that don't know i'm kate kennedy owner founder of be there in five entrepreneur author uh, multipreneur podcaster mom to tugboat and my company whose claim to fame is uh, uh the reminder mat which instead of a welcome mat I saw it as an opportunity for an innovation on a sale category where if you turned upside down a welcome mat and used it as a reminder mat, you can remind yourself not to burn down your house with phrases like turn off your curling iron or turn off your straightener. After that, I uh, it took off. I left my corporate job. I became exhausted and frustrated with the necessity of self-promotion on social media. So I wrote a poem called Twinkle Twinkle Social Media Star because who doesn't take out their you know career frustrations in the form of uh, rhyming couplets? And uh, then I got a book deal from that. It's a nursery rhyme for the digital age. It's a children's parody book about all the funny things we all do on social media. And uh, in the middle of somewhere, I started this podcast because in true Be There in Five fashion, I like to say what derives my uh, tendency to run behind is my curiosity. And if something is happening, if there's late breaking news, if there's, uh, you know, early not breaking news, what's the opposite of late breaking? Like, I I guess like yesterday's news old news, non-issue, I don't know. The more what I say uh, delightfully unimportant, the better. And I started this podcast when I was self-employed and working for myself and working on the book and didn't really know what my career was doing. And I really needed an outlet 
to talk about all of the things that I enjoy, which are pop culture, the zeitgeist, whether current or 90s and 2000s, whether celeb gossip and blind items, whether just sharing personal stories and experiences that I think or slash hope other people can relate to. And also my experience being a woman in small business, just trying to uh, navigate her way through this uh, career journey that I guess I, until I got in it, I didn't really realize it. When you work for yourself, you and only you are responsible for where you go and how you get there. And some days it's empowering, some days it's overwhelming, and I'm here, I guess, to record it all. So thank you, as always, for joining me. Anyway, like I said, um, I'm headed to New York in a little bit. I'm going to do some press for the book and the podcast. And um, so, yeah, good times all around. I love doing press interviews. It's so fun for me. Like, I used to get so, so nervous, but I'm, I'm kind of getting close to the point where I'm not, like, going to throw up anymore, which is really fun. Um, but anyway, at, at this point, I'm considering changing my voice for interviews just to like get press you know like elizabeth holmes is so hot right now and more so than she ever was on my radar before she was a giant scam artist and billionaire and uh you know i i just i I don't even know where to start with that a lot of people have asked me what i think about that whole situation i watched the inventor the hbo documentary so if, if you aren't super familiar with the Theranos situation and this like youngest self-made billionaire of all time pre Kylie Jenner, Elizabeth Holmes, who had an obsession with Steve Jobs and who dropped out of Stanford to start this company where you could like get a full blood sample from just a finger prick and not draw blood. And she had this whole like sob story about her uncle who died from cancer and she didn't want people to die anymore. And she wanted to save lives through an unintrusive means, but it was a complete scam. It never worked. They botched all the data. They were giving people incorrect health information she faked her voice to be in a much lower tone and just kind of like looks super all around disheveled and alarming. Like I find her entire vibe to be so off. Like she wore this exact same outfit every day, had this crazy makeup. And I don't, I, I don't mean to be shallow, but I, if you're a billionaire, get a stylist, get, get a glam squad, do a French twist with, you know, tight, you know, slick back those wispies. I, she just looked so disheveled all the time, which I thought was a bit alarming. Um, And I think, you know, the hardest part for me has really been looking in a mirror and realizing that I'm one rogue cat eye away from a full Holmes. I have her coloring and I wear black turtlenecks all the time. And you know, when you like wake up and forget to take off your red lipstick and you're just, you know, the joker, like this, every time I get home from like a night of karaoke, going out with friends, like, honestly, that's all I see now. Your hair's in a low bun. Your wispies are all out. You're like, did I just have on a red lip or did I just chug an entire pitcher of Kool-Aid? And I unfortunately have Kool-Aid mouth or Popsicle mouth. It's it's going to be a challenge as a blonde, but I hope I don't have crazy eyes. And I, I think the other tricky thing with Elizabeth Holmes is that as a blonde, obviously there's not an element of uh, us being marginalized. And this isn't like a serious issue, but like... There are stereotypes that go along with blonde hair that part of me wonders if she was fighting in addition to her age, in addition to being a woman. And I mean, she was like a really young business owner, innovator and person that like would have been pretty hard to take seriously. It's kind of like the Elle Woods of it all. There's blonde stereotypes about being dumb blondes. There's legally blonde, which God love her. That movie is so important to me and and many people, but you know, one passing mention of ammonium thyglocolate as it relates to the you know back of a perm bottle, and people are like, 
Damn, she must be an attorney. I thought she was just blonde and wore sparkly bikinis. And it's like, I mean, pretty sure she's been studious this whole time and serious, but she has a high-pitched voice, a kind of valley girl way of talking, and wears bright pink, and people just assume she's a cheese ball. I think, I don't know, at least for me, I, I don't wear a lot of pink. I don't wear a lot of primary colors. I mostly wear grays, whites, blacks, neutrals, etc. And I'd be lying to you if I said it is be- isn't because I feel very cheesy wearing certain colors with blonde hair. It, 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 I feel like I am trying to look like some cheesy Barbie version of myself that I don't want to be because... What happens is I think of the Gretchen Christines of the world, the people that are like not at all blonde and making themselves blonde to make themselves look like the 2006 to 2009 girls next door. And then people typecast all blondes as looking like those cheesy Playboy bunny types that is like the antithesis of everything I want to stand for. I'm not like my my coloring lends itself to be blonde. I was born a toehead. I, I consider myself a blonde haired person, even though. I hate the words dirty and dishwater, even though my hair is literally filthy, but dry shampoo changes lives, changes hearts, changes minds. And, you know, it's really discouraged me from washing my hair. But I'd be interested if other blondes feel the same way in that, like, you just feel cheesy when you are done up the way a lot of other people could probably pull off because there's this kind of like Barbie L. Woods girl next door archetype that looks nothing like you. But when super made up, you could be mistaken for, which is your nightmare. Um, All I have to say, Elizabeth Holmes was trying to be taken seriously by titans of industry when she dropped out of Stanford and was like, what, 20 years old? I remember starting my corporate job. And when I got into like a, you know, higher position, like a director position, and I had people reporting to me and I needed clients to take me more seriously. I used to like put my hair up and wear glasses. Like I didn't want to look young because I, I felt like when I had my hair down and long and blonde and curly, I, I looked so much younger and I felt like people treated me like I was a young girl and not like a serious business person who was trying to get a deal done. And part of that's probably projection. Part of that's a lot of, you know, probably unconscious bias. I did work with a lot of men. I, I, it's so funny because I think, you know, this was five to eight years ago really was in the heart of this. And not that I've always been like such a feminist, but I actually, I I don't think I was as privy back then to the, the ways I modified my behavior to overcompensate for being a woman, to overcompensate for being young. And I just remember people say, always saying things to me like, that was actually a great presentation. You actually did a great job. Or like, you know, the people's word choice is so fascinating. Whenever you say actually, you're essentially admitting you're surprised that this thing you're complimenting actually wasn't horrible to use actually in my actually explanation. Um, but uh, or, you know, people being like, I want to talk to your boss or da da da. And then my boss would be like, no, she's the person in charge of that. Like, you can talk to Kate. Which, like, I always had the, I truly, with the exception of one, had, like, the best management in my corporate experience that made me, like, feel so confident and proud of myself because they didn't make me default to them. I, I floundered many a time, but it was better for me to do that on my watch and to experience it than for them to salvage some secondhand embarrassment by micromanaging me. But anyway, uh, this is a really long way to say I understand why she was modifying her voice. And I kind of understand her dowdy appearance. 
And I don't mean dowdy in a mean way. I mean in a way that like I it seems deliberate. Like it, it's it's one thing to, you know, watch a YouTube eye makeup tutorial and not realize it's actually a Halloween costume tutorial for Mimi's makeup from the Drew Carey show, which I think she might have done. It's another thing to have hair that's like frizzed out like you've just been capping for four days in the Louisiana Bayou with the Swamp People from that show. Swamp People. I'm not making up Swamp People as some derogatory term. I actually have, I really do enjoy this alligator hunting show called Swamp People. Um, but and it's another thing to have this like bizarrely ill-fitting wardrobe of black suits, wide leg pants, a turtleneck, and a kitten heel. But all of that together is such a deliberately homely appearance that somebody who's an alleged billionaire, and I know she wasn't like liquid and it's like evaluation and whatever, but she could have afforded to probably get a stylist to get some more tailored clothing to blow out her, her hair on occasion. I really think she was combating the way she looked because she felt like a blonde young female that could easily be written off and i don't think she was wrong because i i do think that it's this again this unconscious bias that like something about attractive overtly attractive women women that dress well women that like try hard to dress well um i think the way we talk about them starts to become about their clothes and not about their work it starts to become about their glam and not about their delivery and the execution of whatever project they're working on. And I'm guilty of this too, because I'm a woman who loves hair and I love makeup and I love like, I don't know, commenting on looks. It's fun, but I can see how at a point it becomes distracting. And that's kind of what um, this, another person I follow named Elizabeth Holmes. So she has nothing to do with the whole Theranos situation um, who points out how strategic the Royals outfits are. And how Kate Middleton actively has shifted her wardrobe to be less of a discussion point and less memorable. And so the conversation shifts more to the charity. Because, like, if it's so weird, but, like, if she cuts bangs or changes up the type of shoe she wears or, like, does something, like, a little out of the ordinary, it becomes the headline. So, anyway, I do think that's a, like, a weird thing women de deal with. And not defending Elizabeth Holmes, the Theranos one at all. But I think that's why she lowered her voice. And I feel like that's not, not something that was like that. It wasn't discussed or really broken down very well to me in the uh, documentaries. But the problem is it wasn't a good deep voice. It was like a bro deep voice. Like it's kind of how I explain that the guy that, um, you know, you're playing beer pong with at the college party, the frat star, who's like hyper competitive and like a little too jacked up for a cash apartment party like throws a ping pong ball at a cup, it bounces off pretty quickly. And he's like, is there beer in that cup? And you're like, relax. We're, we're like, look at this rinse cup. There's dog hair in it. It's filthy. Like no one's rinsing the rinse cup. This whole thing is disgusting. I don't think it's time to, you know, try to like tough guy intimidate me about the level of beer in my cup because your aim is bad. There's no umpire here. I, I don't. Anyway, and like usually there is no beer in that cup because again, dog hair and filth of the rinse cup, it's it's disgusting to play beer pong. And typically I only filled it with a small amount of water and drank my own beer because I'm not getting MRSA. Um but anyway, it's it's just like the bro voice that it just it doesn't work. I feel like there's ways to kind of take your voice down a little without having to like do that. And that's where my confusion is too, is Part of me is like, okay, her she has absolutely crazy eyes. She doesn't blink. 
she acts incredibly awkward, yet she's rubbing elbows with the Obama White House. She's with Katie Couric. She's with, uh, like, a tons of famous people. Did I see a photo of her and Beyonce? I mean, she is, like, whining, dining, wheeling, dealing with the who's who of, of media, of industry, of entertainment, of politics. And I'm kind of, it's interesting to me that there there's no like weirdness meter going off not that you would judge you know what somebody was doing professionally off like their awkward social interactions but she's beyond awkward like watching those documentaries i was like i would get a very uncomfortable vibe from this whole thing and her voice was so deliberately like not normal and i just i don't know but i think about if you know, you're a, a serious figurehead of some kind, and there's a young woman in her early 20s that's being, or let's say there's two young women being brought to you in their early 20s that are allegedly, uh, you know, making breakthroughs in, in science and biochemistry, a life-changing invention, and one looks like Elizabeth Holmes and one looks like Alexis Bellino, who are you going to pick that's making waves in biochem? Pretty sure Elizabeth Holmes. <laughs> Who, who is the de designer of uh, the famed Alexis Couture of the now dead uh, website? I have recently tried to go to that dot com, AlexisCouture.com. Why, that's Alexis Bellino, who, uh, you know, thinks Costa Rica is in Mexico. Alexis Bellino, who calls Katie Couric, Katie Keurig, Alexis Bellino. So, you know, in that case, the uh, the stereotype does live up to its owner, but... It's kind of one of those things where she could have made the decision to really up her look a lot if she wanted to. And I think she actively chose to downplay it. Um, I think she wanted to be taken seriously, like the Steve Jobs, the, the Michael Dell, the Warren Buffetts of the world. Like, she was very obsessed with college dropouts, with um, titans of industry, with people that had unconventional ways of solving problems. And I don't doubt that that fascination's real. But the problem is you can take risks and you can have lean startup methodology like having minimum viable products, like utilizing an iterative process that incorporates demand to constantly be refining your product in the image of the marketplace and instead of against your own agenda as a company. That's what most startups do. But the difference is that in tech, a laptop is not it's not a blood test. Technology is not biochemistry and there's not lives on the line and there's not health tests on the line and there's not diagnoses, next steps and prognoses having to do with people's future health and wellness that are truly going to either scare or ill prepare families, whichever way the dice rolls, whether it understates or overstates their propensity for or existence of an illness. And it's just not apples to apples. I think that in her heart of hearts, she like doesn't think she did anything wrong because she's like read these biographies and she's like, only crazy people make history. Women who behave rarely make history. And like, yeah, but not women who commit felonies, not women who mislead people about their blood panels, not people who dilute samples, who mishandle blood work, who, who are completely duping the FDA into passing off their product that's completely not ready and like hiding. I mean, how they even get through that? The, the whole thing is so, so nuts and it requires such a high level of orchestration. But also watching it, I'm kind of like, eh. A lot of people saw stuff was going wrong and just kind of like, 
buried it. Everyone's own self-interest is in keep, keeping their job. It's is rolling the dice at times to see if you're in a situation that has a severity of being a whistleblower. I couldn't believe how that like borderline mega hottie in the um, HBO documentary, that guy, he was like the litigation they were trying to put him up against in the, you know, half million dollars in lawyer fees. I'm like, Jesus, we're trying to do the right thing. How many people are going to ever be encouraged to do the right thing? I wish I'd watched that documentary and thought like, yeah, I'd totally be comfortable being a whistleblower. But I was like, oh my God, no, like I don't have... I'd panic if I got a parking ticket tomorrow. That would stress me out to no end. And like, that's just such an alarming state of just kind of like a crappy thing that makes you think about how easily people must be intimidated out of speaking. And anyway, I, uh, this whole thing was very interesting. I didn't mean to mostly focus on her look, but I do feel like it's important to focus on her look. I just... It's so interesting to me, too, that we're so quick to want to accept a a prodigy or a genius or have some anomaly of an outlier of a person create this groundbreaking thing and understand the ins and outs of of business and of their specific industry before having any experience. I have no doubt that young people can be brilliant, can have vision, can really make strides in innovation. I think sometimes the lack of context and experience might help them be more creative because sometimes there is red red tape and sometimes there are limitations that are changeable and sometimes there aren't. But it always makes me crazy when really young people that start these incredible businesses come on and stay on as the CEO and then poorly run it. Because the reality is a founder doesn't always need to be a CEO. A founder can have an either can sell it, can have an incredible role as some major board member. A lot of times serial entrepreneurs, I mean, the the notion of an entrepreneur is that you kind of innovate, build, create a sustainable business model, rinse, repeat, like you're constantly kind of coming up with new ventures. And it's so interesting to me when people create this like one thing, it's their first thing. They've never worked in a normal job, a corporate job, especially if they're like at a major university with a lot of money and just don't have like a ton of life experience. And then they're thrust into this world with these like heavy hitters and these big policymakers and these like grown ass adults who are probably talking to them in ways they don't even understand and trying to like run this business based on their own like idealistic and experienced thinking. I mean, the way you construct... I don't know. I, I, I've already been talking about this too long. I just think about how I thought the world and business should run when I was younger, when I was Elizabeth's age at the prime of Theranos, versus how much I learned and how much I kind of had to shift the way I thought based on the way things actually are. And not that that should be a point of discouragement. I think that the better way to think is always that you know, things don't have to be the way they are just because that's the way we always done them. I'm the first person to hate this kind of, you know, resistance to change. I think change management's impossible. And I do think sometimes it takes a real innovator or a, a more green person to really shake people out of the way they think. But in this instance, this industry, I mean, people go to 10 years of medical school for a reason. I mean, the, medicine is just not a field where you play fast and loose with experience, with leadership capabilities and with policies. And I just think it's such a shame that so many people overlooked so much 
in favor of hoping that this was like their the star child that they wanted her to be or the press wanted her to be or said she was. It's like it's you know, and it's so easy for us to point fingers because we watch it now knowing that she's like a total con artist and we're like, she looks and acts like a con artist. I mean, it's just it seems so blatant, but I mean. I don't know. It's it's the group think of it all. It's like if somebody tells you someone's great and did something awesome, you're going to believe them. And that's why I stand strong. And what I've always said about work, about corporate work, is that it's not about what you do. It's about what people think you do. Everybody is too self-absorbed and too wrapped up in their own work to pay any attention to anything you're doing. So if somebody tells you they did something, if somebody artificially puts their name on a project and takes credit for somebody else's work, if a person walks around the office all day looking like Mondo flustered and so busy and so crazy, people are going to be like, wow, that 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 Sally is just really nose to the grindstone. She's wild. And they're not going to really think about what she's doing. I mean, now I, I'm so, um, you know, I don't want to call it nosy. I don't want to call it a busy body. I, I don't even want to call it. I don't know what the word is. I pay attention to people. <laughs> I analyze people. And I notice what people actually do in their actual throughput. And I knew a lot of people that played this charade and didn't actually do anything. Why? Because if I had a chance to peep over their shoulder and look at their calendar, I'd see how busy they actually were. Sometimes they'd accidentally share their screen. I'd get a peep at that calendar. The unfortunate reality is that there's a lot of people that aren't just faking it till they make it but make it and then fake it and it's frustrating because you want to find people to look up to and to model your career after but I felt like so often I was realizing that I wasn't even all that impressed by people and they were taking credit for things that others were doing or weren't really pulling their weight at meetings because you know of this that and the other but then as I've gotten older I've also realized you know what people have stuff going on they have lives they have kids they have spouses they have health issues they have Aging parents, there's so many things that will make you less engaged in like a market research meeting and that will make you not care as much about what's going on in the workplace. And for somebody that's like bright eyed and in their early 20s and like has literally nothing else to focus on, of course, they're going to be like work, 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 work. And I kind of was like that, too. And I kind of feel badly because I think I maybe harshly judged a lot of people back in my old job, uh, feeling like they took way too long to do things and the things weren't as good of quality. But like. I think I was over, you know, working way outside what I was expected to and obviously perform well as a result. But like I had nothing else to do and other people had like everything to do. And I'd want to be given that grace, especially, you know, in the event of having children or somebody being sick or whatever. Like, you know, you're you're paid to be there nine to five. And I, like I always say, if you're meeting expectations, you're underperforming. You need to exceed expectations. Um, but that can be done within reasonable work hours and working longer isn't always working smarter. Um, so all of that to say, my that wasn't to defend Elizabeth. My point was more so it's like, how can all these people overlook it? But I just think there are a lot of people that are just trying to like get paid and move on with their life because work isn't necessarily what everybody lives for. And sometimes you just don't want to take it on. And while there is a much bigger ethical question here that people, you know, should have taken on. I think that it's easier said than done in a lot of ways. And, you know, you look back at Enron and you look back at even the girl who wrote that Anna Delvey expose for Vanity Fair. She was like, you know, 
I thought that something didn't seem right, but like nothing was really that wrong. And I was going on trips and getting handed fistfuls of cash. So like, what am I going to do? I, I, I don't it's like hard to say that, you know, we're all above it. But when we're watching these documentaries and have all the information in retrospect, we're like, you know, so critical of these people. But anyway, I just uh, I guess I don't know what I would do. I it's so hard for me to believe I would trust her, period. I think that her look was very deliberate. Uh, it was tr- tr- very deliberately trying to counteract how young and blonde and blue-eyed and cheesy she would have looked in a bright pink. I'm kind of just kidding about the blonde thing. I can't reiterate enough that I, I, I do not think blondes are marginalized. I'm just saying that blondes look like Malibu Barbie in certain colors, and it, it it's just not a vibe I'm always going for. I'm not always going for Gretchen Christine Butte. I am not always going for erica jane in berlin like that works for her but i don't have an alter ego that performs at nightclubs and stirrups anyway i'm obsessed with erica jane this season her like leopard look with the short curly hair holding and drinking out of that champagne glass talking in a very like what'd you do what'd you like what'd you see she's talking this weird voice that's like it was erica jane in the study with a stemware it's very clue. It's very. She's a chameleon. I I don't know what else to say. I she keeps it interesting. She can dress like a saucy minx in a full red. Oops, I did it again. Vinyl in one take, and be like a full on golden girl in the next. And somehow she's ageless. Somehow she transcends eras. Somehow she just like performs above it all and she's just always her and it's so amazing when somebody is so commanding that they're still them despite all of the looks they take on and I have to say she was losing me last season and I was like I liked when it, I had Erica Girardi and Erica Jane I liked the um, juxtaposition when she became all er- Erica Jane she was a little too good for everybody else and a little too combative but then this year I think she's been a good friend I think she's worn Lisa Rinna's jumpsuit, even though it's a poly blend, which does not breathe. I'm the first to know that. When you're buying a coat, you don't go for a poly blend. Polyester famously doesn't breathe. That's why polyester coats tend to be warm, but they tend to, like, kick off a lot of heat out of the undercarriage, or whatever you call it, under your coat carriage, rather, when you, like, walk indoors in heat and you, like, feel this, like, steam coming out from under your coat. You're like, that is rough stuff. Um, That's polyester, usually. Anyway. Um, but she's been a good friend and she's been like so great in interviews and she's had fun looks and, um, you know, her pool tiles are broken, which, you know, is relatable. And I think that she's, you know, has a strong season trajectory ahead of her. I hope we're done with Lucy Lucy Apple Juicy, but you know, jury's out. We'll find out tomorrow. But anyway, moving on next topic. What else, what else was I going to talk about? I recorded part of this last week and part of it this week, and I know it's probably really confusing as to what's what, but anyway, I uh, I went to New York last week. It was such a blast. It was, I it, it kind of had an interesting couple weeks, actually, since we last talked on this podcast. Um, I, I don't know. Where do I begin? So after I recorded this last podcast, I um, was leaving town to go to a bachelorette party and uh, I had a flight Friday at like 6 or 7 a.m. or some ungodly hour that I was going to have to wake up before 5. And I'm just not a person that's ever going to get to bed before like 11 or midnight. It just doesn't happen, especially with what I do. And 
uh, the night before I was leaving for this bachelorette party, which I had to be up around five, uh, my sweet husband decides to surprise me. And it's been like an ongoing joke for years that like when he's like, what do you want for dinner? And I say, you know, tacos. He'll be like, oh, I guess I'll cancel my Alinea reservation. And Alinea is this, you know, multiple Michelin stars several times over restaurant in Chicago. At one point, it was number one in the world. Grant Akits is the chef that started it. He also owns Aviary and Royster here. And next, if you want any more context, I'm sure other things. If you're coming to Chicago and you want like a a linea level meal, but at an affordable price, go to Royster or order the full chicken. And you know it's good because I would never tell somebody to order a full chicken at a restaurant if it wasn't good. I don't believe in ordering chicken that isn't fried at a third party vendor and paying a premium for it. Like what a snooze. Chicken and vegetables is like what I eat on my saddest days. If I'm like sick or if I'm feeding tugboat or like I'm on some diet and trying to pretend like, you know, I'm not starving myself of all joy that exists in life but at a restaurant people order chicken i'm like what are you doing it's not that much cheaper than like another much more fulfilling protein at that point just go home and i'm sorry if they're ordering chicken at restaurants but i really don't understand it (laughs) but anyway make the most outstanding chicken i've ever had in my life um and so yes there's this restaurant called alinea it's extremely fancy it's extremely to me Maybe not to other people, like once in a lifetime. Uh, I've wanted to go forever. I really thought maybe I'd go, you know, if I ever got like, I don't know, movie options for a book. Like, you know, it would have to be like such a big deal that um, I would need to feel like justified it for by the time you pay for it and get all the wine pairings. Anyway, uh, my husband, like at 7 p.m. said, hey, my Coworker Dave and his wife want to go out to eat with us. And I was like, oh, cool. I had like six hours of work left ahead of me. But I was like, yeah, I don't know. I'll get back by 930. I'll like stay up late. I'll get a few hours of sleep. I'll fly out tomorrow. It's whatever. It's very hard for me to leave the house um, when I uh, go out of town. It's just and uh, my friend who also has a similar job to me said the same thing. It's like when you're responsible for making so much stuff and organizing orders and getting stuff out. And then like I'm trying to figure out the dog. And I want everything to be like straightened up before I leave. And then I'm trying to pack and get myself out. I I am just always like full on torpedoing before I leave. And I don't mean to. It's just like I physically have a lot of work to do at all times. And like nobody else can really back me up when I leave if I miss anything. And I have trouble having fun if it's not all done. Anyway, long story short, I um, I'm like, cool, let's meet Dave and his wife. Let's go to Taco Joint. And he was like, oh, I was thinking we could go to Alinea. And I was like, haha, very funny. Well, like, come home first, and do you want me to make a reservation at Taco Joint? And he was like, yeah, sure. Um, Taco Joint's great, by the way, if you live in Chicago. Huge fan. And uh, I could tell when he gets home, I'm wearing, like, a gray sweatshirt and a ripped denim. And that's kind of like my, you know, I'm chill outfit, but, like, I'll do my hair and makeup nicely or, like, have a bold lip. So, you know, the bottom says I'm chill, but the top says I'm really try hard because... You almost have to choose one if you don't want to be, you know, fully on the extra train, especially upon making a first impression. I know not everybody would want to meet somebody in a ripped denim to make a first impression, but that's actually when I feel my most comfortable. Um, And when he came home, he usually does not care what I wear. And he's complimentary and very sweet. But he was I could tell he was kind of like acting weird about what I was wearing. And he was almost like, 
that's nice. Yeah, you look nice. Because I was like, is this okay? Like, he's not, you know, your superior. It's just like your peer, Dave, like your friend. Who the hell is Dave? I don't know. My husband works an hour outside the city. I don't really know his coworkers. Um, and I could, felt like he was acting a little weird. Thank God at the last minute I put on a black shirt, which just, you know, changed the nature of the outfit. Did I still want to be wearing denim? Not really. But, you know, I, again, don't want to be like full-on biz cas or like nightclub when I'm, you know, just meeting friends for tacos. So we walked to taco joint. We passed taco joint. Obviously, you know, this is going. We walk into Alinea. I'm shocked. I'm confused. I'm not really sure what's going on. When I, it doesn't sound like a big deal, but if you know this restaurant, it's a very big deal and it's very exciting. And this is an unassuming Thursday night when I have six hours of work left to do and I have to be up by 5 a.m. And long story short, my sweet husband frequently checks the secondhand market for these tickets because you have to buy tickets. And if you can't go, you can sell your reservation. Now, this is like not a hard, you know, this is not hard demand to fill. But, you know, most people can't really drop everything and go last minute if something changes for somebody. But he looks on occasion to see, like, is there anybody last minute who can't fulfill their reservation? And they would rather kind of lose money on it than to lose all their money on it. So, I mean, I don't mean to make it not special. I could just tell you he took me at full price, but also like, you know, hashtag relatable. (laughs) If you can get a Groupon, we will get a Groupon. Unfortunately, this isn't a Groupon kind of joint. I don't even know how it works with transferring reservations. I don't even know if that was like legal, whatever. I don't know what he did, but I do know that we were like saving it for like a big time thing and we could afford it. So it must have been pretty good. And it was also so sweet. Like, I don't know, to be looking at that all the time because I wanted to go so bad, but like we weren't really in a position to do it yet. And um, to, you know, figure out a way to do it anyway, it was incredibly sweet. And I'm telling this story because um, I don't know if any of you can relate to this, but I even though I'm like kind of laid back and like a little scatterbrained and I'm not, you know, as type A as some people, I am so crazy about my schedule and about my work hours. I have so much to do. And I feel like I'm always a little high stress because like I'm doing too much. I'm not making enough. I feel like there needs to be changes, but like I have too much to do to make changes. And I'm just like always crazy running around. And sometimes when things come up that like weren't scheduled or like in my plan and it derails what I was doing, I'll get flustered. I'll get frustrated. I'll have trouble snapping out of my mood. And it's less about the schedule and more so that I'm so ill prepared to have things interject my day and to set me off a a few minutes, hours, even days. I can't afford it because I'm always operating at the very last minute because I have, think I have too much to do. Um, and I used to be like way more automated and efficient with my business. But as you all know, if you listen to how I built this, I took a step back. I stopped working directly with people. It became too difficult. I had some bad experiences. And I've just been like, I don't know. I'm just constantly trying to figure out what to do with like uh, the, the, my career as like a creative and a consultant and an ideas person. And as like a personality and a podcaster or an author versus like myself as a business owner and what I want to do with the business. And like right now it's just too much. And I feel like I'm not doing anything well. And it is, it's a struggle for me. And I feel like I'm constantly on edge. And, um, it was just like a, good example to me of where I I really had to like sit down, take a deep breath and be gracious and be in the moment and be cool. Like I, I'm not saying I do everything right, but I'm saying that I've ruined a lot of things by just 
being so obsessive over my the thing I needed to get done being derailed instead of enjoying the thing that derailed it. And it's so much more rewarding to be in the moment, to take a step back, to say it'll get done later, and to just appreciate and absorb the nice thing that's being done for you. And we had such a nice time. And even though I didn't sleep that night, and I pulled an all-nighter. It was so worth it. And I and I was like on the verge of like tearing up when right when we got there because when I'm surprised, I like I malfunction a little and all of like my emotions misfire. And when I'm both like confused and happy and surprised and like fl- flustered by something else, I'll just like start to cry and I don't really know why. And I was feeling myself this feeling like just like really weird and overwhelmed. And um I remembered back to like my engagement when I was like doing something else and I was frustrated that I felt like it was my birthday. I felt like he didn't plan anything. I was just like on the phone with my sister and another friend and like I was doing something on Instagram and I was just like trying to put out of my mind that like my boyfriend didn't plan anything for my birthday. And I was like in kind of a bad mood and just decided to do other things. And then when by the time like I figured out I needed to go in the backyard. He's like there in a tuxedo with like love actually cue cards proposing to me. And it's, 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 I'm like, it's going to take me a full 10 minutes to snap out of this bad mood. Like, I'm just not that good at like changing on a dime. And you're almost so confused. It's like, the, it, it, I, I don't, does anyone understand what I'm saying? You're like happy and you're sad and you're confused and you're like, what the hell? I was so mad at you, but you're here and this is great. But like, is anybody watching us in the bushes? Is my family here? Should I kiss you? Is that gross? I don't want PDA in front of people. Like, oh, there's a ring. Oh, my God, I don't really care, but I'm so excited. But still, like, the ring's awesome. This is great. Like, ah, ah, ah. And you're just not, like, not one of those cute little tan pocket girls with, like, a perfect outfit and gorgeous, you know, long flowing locks that are in a fresh blowout and have, like, dewy shoulders and that just, like, toddler jump get picked up in the person's arms and you, like, watch their engagement videos on Facebook. And you're like, how the hell did she so gracefully surprised when I'm, like, a monster when I'm surprised? I I, I, I do I just don't do well with being thrown off. And, um, I mean, I think I've told you guys before, my first surprise party when I was in uh, middle school, I, I was in a basement. I was walking down the stairs. I got surprised. I fell down the stairs. And that kind of set out my whole, like, life's trajectory for being surprised. Anyway, um, just just a story in that, A, Elenia is an absolute delight. I might do a Patreon about it if you want to, like, hear exactly what I ate. <laughs> it was like, not because, I don't know, anything to brag or whatever. Again, got a deal. But because if you like food and I've watched Chef's Table and like are in, I don't know, a lot of my friends like follow chefs like they're athletes. And uh, it really was such an experience and it was so delicious. And I've been to other tasting menus in Chicago. I've been lucky enough to try some of the other Michelin star ones. I'm a big fan of Schwa and Goosefoot because they're um, BYOB. And I think the wine pairings is what really gets you for these nicer meals. But I do think like I'm very into experiential money spending. I, the older I get, the less I buy nice clothes and handbags and stuff. And I really just want to like do fun things with people I love. And, uh, I think that these meals is part of it. And I think so, like a small part of me was like, oh, I would have looked forward to this. But then I was like, you know what? No. Cause then I would have been like crazy about the date and then we would have paid full price. And then like, I would have been harping on everything, like hoping it would have lived up to my standards and did it But like, I, with, I had no expectation, and I just had fun, and I needed to freaking have fun, and my husband's so sweet for doing that, and just a friendly reminder. Like, I remember a long time ago, I read this article about how uh, 
the, the this psychologist did a study about how one when couples are the one of the biggest determiners he found of if couples are going to stay together or not is that when one bids the other the way the other responds and a bid can be anything from like telling a stupid story to asking a stupid question or asking an important question like bids are kind of like a request for the other person's attention uh for lack of a better explanation without necessarily being things that are necessary to answer or respond to or do so you know how sometimes when you're just like you know you want to connect you want to talk you're like so how is this how is that like oh that thing on tv is really funny oh those oak island guys back at it again they're definitely going to find it in season 12 you're kind of you know you're not doing anything necessary but you're just like want to to solicit a response from your partner and that the couples who's a paramour indulged them in kind of you know responding back were the happiest because they didn't feel dismissed and they felt that you know their interactions no matter how profound were an important exchange and i just never forgot that article and sometimes when i think i'm being like total grumple stiltskin i just remember like, am I being bid? And if, if am I going to respond in a way that's going to set myself up as a person that negatively responds to this sort of thing? Because I am moody. If anybody wants to know, I've gotten a few DMs asking for my Enneagram. I feel like I've talked about this, but I am a four. And I will go more into that at some other point. I can't decide if this is in. It's, it's like some people are so into it and some people are like, what the hell is that? But I do think it's an interesting um, introspective look at what makes you you. And it probably speaks a lot to how much I can podcast and talk to myself. Um, but I think it also speaks to like my um, moodiness and my intensity and my seeking of purpose and my frustration every single day because I am not any closer to it. And uh, it's it's just it's interesting. But anyway, I then woke up early and went to this bachelorette party, which was so much fun. It was with my college friends, a lot of my sorority sisters. And it's funny because when I was younger, uh, bachelorette parties were kind of a dime a dozen. Like we were going on so many when people were getting married. And I got married, you know, when I was almost 30. And it had been like so many years since I had seen people. That it, like I was thrilled at my occasions to get to like have people come together. And I'm almost now so excited when I have these sort of functions and get to reconnect with people because they're the only way I get to see anybody. I like I'm hoping for the rest of time people get married and have bachelorette parties because it's really hard to like stay in touch when everyone's in different places and in different life phases. And anyway, my point being, if you're younger and you feel like you're going to so many like wedding related functions, I feel you. I understand you. But there will come a point where you'll like really cherish these getaways because they're kind of all you have with the people you were, you know, really close to at one point. And um, anyways, it was so much fun. Uh, The best part for me was on my phone like that's my little red bubble notification it says 120 some on red let me look at the exact number for you today just to give you a friendly dose of anxiety 12831 is where we register today and i have 12 email boxes i have like six for be there and five i have like a few dummies for like some stuff i don't really want to subscribe to i've had my same gmail since like 2007 like when gmail first came out and I'm not good at deleting things. And part of it's because, you know, I'm always worried I'll need a receipt or something. And like, I don't know, I just never get around to it. And I honestly, the number doesn't bother me. I'm just not a person that's bothered by that. Um, But also, I like to use it as a reference point. Like, 
Greg and I used to send so many emails throughout our relationship that like I can figure out exactly when something happened because I'll like have the email like transcript of it happening in real time and they're so funny to read back and anyway so I have all I have all of this like chapter listservs for my sorority all of the emails for most of college and at a time where email was kind of just becoming more of a thing and I mean we were like texting and stuff but like we were just starting to put photos on Facebook and we were, you know, I got on Facebook in 2005. So this is, you know, 2006 to 2009 was when I was in college. And it's kind of this very transitional phase where we go from like full analog kind of to full digital. And I have so many mixed feelings about my experience in Greek life. But the one thing I don't have a mixed feeling about, I want to be so, so clear is uh, any funny thing I mentioned or issue I have with my sorority, it has nothing to do with the organization itself and it has nothing to do with the people in it. It's more of a function of um, uh, power and leadership positions amongst your peers, which get like to be a friendly gray area when they're like your friend, but they also like can send you to standards board. And um, the necessity of some people who like have to run and report to this actually like serious organization with a bunch of friends and people that take, don't take it seriously at all. And just the concept of um, kind of aligning your life with some arbitrary set of rules and standards that like you yourself don't have in your real life, but you know, within these four walls and on campus, you have to like act out the values of some organization that like you kind of are in for four years, but like won't really be after. And you can't really understand the, you know, it's importance relative to your, the rest of your life. And I, I had a lot of issues with like that kind of element of it. And I had a lot of issues with like frat boys to arrest me. Don't get me started. I cannot stand like mostly every guy I met in college. Um, I, but that's a thing for another day. The women I met in my sorority are still some of my best friends. And despite my issues with, you know, confidence and bouts of depression in college, like the the friends I made were so were and are still so important to me and made all of the difference. And I wouldn't take back them. For a second, uh, you know, people joke about how in sororities people buy their friends, and like, yeah, I basically did. That, I mean, I went to a school with like thirty thousand people undergrad. You need to make a small school smaller when you're at a big school, and that's what I chose to do. And even though it had like a lot of ups and downs, the people I got out of it made it completely worth it. So I just don't want to. I just never want anybody to think that like I'd take back a minute of it because I wouldn't. Now it brings me so much joy and it makes me laugh so hard because of how seriously we took all of these things. Um, but my favorite thing was we were sitting around at this bachelorette party reading back some of these emails, and they were just freaking hilarious because I, I don't know if people still do this, but back then there was this like narrative of, and it wasn't just us. It was like all of Panhellenic that like was obsessed with being classy and like, yeah, you don't want to not be classy, but also the cl most classless thing you can do is call yourself classy. So when you're walking around campus wearing a shirt, that's like, you know, sorority because class isn't just something you attend. It's like, nah, I mean, nah, it is something you attend. And it's also something you really shouldn't call yourself because it's pretentious. And you're suggesting that by being in this organization that maybe is like a barrier to entry due to cost or, you know, elitism or some people are too socially awkward or whatever. There's like a lot of reasons you can't get an authority that might be hurtful to people in not being in one calling them, you know, classless is tough stuff and something I don't love and a shirt that did not make the cut for the t-shirt quilt my mom made me. 
Um, but like everything we did was against this barometer of classiness. And, you know, I feel so grateful to have had friends in college that were not classy because it was more fun that way. I mean, we were like, we, we got good grades and we were nice people and we didn't hurt anybody. But like, did we dance on elevated surfaces on occasion? You betcha. Did, did we shotgun beers with the best of them? Sure. We had a great time. Are these things that people were proud to show our national chapter we were doing in letters? Not necessarily. So we learned, okay, we're not going to wear letters. And then, you know, a few pictures go up on Facebook. A girl's back on an elevated surface, maybe at a date party. Someone's making out in a corner, wearing our team colors. But they aren't letters. And we're like, we're in the clear. And we get an email. It's like, no elevated surfaces. If one more person dances on elevated surfaces, you will be taken to standards board. And it was like, yikes. What? Like, when you join a sorority, did, like, I did not think that I had to dance at ground level. I didn't know that that was, like, a, a mandatory thing. Now, trust me, I'm very tall. I, I have a bigger bone structure. I, you know, was a, a cool 20 pounds heavier in college, given that there was a Chick-fil-A on campus. And I thought, you know, a personal pan pizza was an appetizer. Um, so I wasn't ever thrilled to be up on the countertops, especially in an era where people were just like rapid fire paparazziing with Canon point and shoots the entire night's events, putting absolutely no editing work toward it and sticking a USB in there like, huge ass Dell computer and uploading every single photo with reckless abandon, giving it a terrible album title and, you know, running off and you're like, hello, detag, please. But like nobody was emailing or texting or that like readily available. So you just kind of had to sit there and stew in this tagged photo. There wasn't an untagged feature at the time. Anyway, so I wasn't really, you know, always on the elevated services. I can't really chug beers and like I don't really do well with liquor. So I was always like kind of tame, but I think I was more so tame because um, I am a bit introverted and B, all of the fun things people did that like made them wild, like always made me sick. So it was kind of like I was forced to be less cool, but I was still like around. I was taking the pictures. I'm not going to sit on the bench when freak a is on. I, I have a pulse. Um, but anyway, the emails were just like scathing about all the things we were doing that weren't classy. And it it enraged me at the time and it enrages me now because it was like nobody was doing anything harmful. Like it really compared to what we could have been doing and compared to other people on campus. We were so we were so, so together but when your sorority standards board comes after you, because you don't really understand how like the normal world works, and to you that's everything in your world at the age of 19, you're like convinced the FBI is coming after you for dancing on an elevated surface and like shotgunning a beer next to a beer can tower during a friendly game of flip cup where there's just a lot of red solo cups present and maybe some fraternity or sorority letters in the background that you were unaware of. It got un uploaded to Facebook and wasn't detagged in time before Standard saw it, sent you a scathing email, threatened your ability to stay in the chapter, and it's going to send you to Standard's board to fend for yourself while all of your sisters turn their back on you because they love you, but we're not getting taken to Standard's board because that shit is like the same thing as basically being investigated by the CIA as far as we were concerned. I was like, these people are normal people that now like I would be like, hey, sup, how are you? Like, we're fine. We're all people. But at the time, I literally thought they had like control over my life and future and like free will and getting an email from them was truly terrifying. And um, I don't know if any of you guys experienced the same thing. And maybe other people in my sorority like weren't that scared of it. Um, but if anything, it speaks to like 
I don't know. My chapter like ran a tight ship and they did a good job and they kept us out of trouble probably and kept us safe a lot of the time. And the one thing I will say I'm so, so freaking grateful for is that there was this thing that when we had post would post photos of beer cans, um, if there's anybody underage in the photo or like maybe anybody at all, um, they would comment on it and just put an X and it meant you had to delete the photo. We used to get a kick out of this because like my roommate would like upload an album and and basically like the it, it wouldn't be an in individual like um, comments underneath the different photos that were an X. It would just be like a comment wide an album wide comment that was just like a hard, hard X, like can't like this entire thing got to go. And it was like, you know, at the time, the pictures are like the only way you like show people you're having fun. You're a good time gal. You make your high school boyfriend jealous. So people were upset when they had to delete them. But in retro, like I'm so freaking grateful that those pictures aren't out there. Like we were never doing anything that bad, but it's like, who wants pictures of them like partying in college? They're not going to go on the wall. I'm not going to show my kids one day. I'm not going to put them in like a nice Shutterfly bound album. Like, I'm good. I got the memories locked and loaded in my head. I remember all of my awful, you know, low-cut Halloween costumes. I'm good. I, I, I just don't need them immortalized by the World Wide Web. And I am so grateful to my sorority for policing those so carefully, even though at the time it was annoying. Um, but the other funny thing that about reading through these emails well, I had two different types of emails that I was sending to people. It was like, hey, girl, um, where should I meet up with you to pay the fine for not attending this event? Because like what I still don't understand is that I was paying them. But that I was going to get fined to not go to things uh, like, why should I pay you money, pay you more money to go to things than when technically I'm paying you? So I should be here at my leisure. Very strange. Didn't get it then. Don't get it now. So I just didn't go to stuff. I kind of hoped I could skip the fines, but then I'd be too scared to have like a tense personal relationship with the person responsible for collecting them. So I just have a lot of emails of you being like, hey, girl, no, I'm six months late on the fine for that event that we're doing so we can pretend like we're not just a drinking organization and we did participate in some philanthropy. Anyway, let me know uh, when I can write you a check for $5. Like, I was cutting checks for nominal amounts of fees like it was nobody's business. But I had that FU Bev cart money from the golf course I worked on, so I guess I didn't really care. Um, but the second type of email I wrote is, Hey, girl, I need a medium t-shirt. <laughs> or I need a large t-shirt. Or, hey, girl, are those fitted American apparel t-shirts? Or regular t-shirts? Well, and if they're regular, are they ladies or are they unisex? Because that makes a difference. Because... So I forget who pointed this out, but it's like the funniest thing to me that I didn't even notice at the time. And it's kind of it's like one of those things that you look back, you're like, yikes. But it in real it, everybody was doing it. And you didn't really think about it. But everybody in the sorority was so tiny that everybody always ordered smalls. And we had to get like two T-shirts a week for various like functions, whether it was for some philanthropy or some like, I don't know, social. And um so they'd all be smalls, except for a few of us mediums and larges that were stragglers that, you know, the line for the small table was like 65 deep. And then there was like four of us, you know, picking our shirts out of the tiny pile of people that weren't, you know, at like tiny pocket girls. And so when they send out emails or in meetings, they'd be like, OK, just let us know who doesn't want a small. Always hated that, but like I didn't think about it. But like I, de I, I gained a lot of weight in college. There is, you know, calories in, calories out situation. I go to college and I don't exercise and I eat Chick Fil A every day. And I'm like, weird. Like why? Why are? Why are my jeans feeling a little snug? And again, 
size is, I don't mean size relative to like everyone in the world. I mean, the size for me, like what's, you know, medium over underweight for your height totally depends on the person. And um, I also like, I was so confident as a kid and my parents made me feel so good about myself. And I just had like really great high school friends. And I remember going to college and being like, oh, I should hate myself. <laughs> like, uh, I, I, okay, I got it. Look in the mirror, point out everything you hate about yourself, talk about it ad nauseum at the, at the dining hall, make everyone else feel uncomfortable about, about their cream-based dressings, and then, you know, move on with your life. Like, that was the MO of college. It's just like everybody was in that, like, my nail bed suck type of mode that I just really was never in. I never talked badly about myself. I never felt badly about myself. And honestly, I didn't even notice I gained that much weight at first until later on when I was kind of taught to uh, really overthink the way I looked. And it's not anybody's fault. It's just the dialogue that happens a lot of times in groups of women that I hope in this more body positive era we're not doing. But there's just so many things related to my image that really got skewed in college. And the tying it back to the sororities, like, does anybody not need a small? And they're like, literally only being three of us. And it's like, a medium is small. Like, there's no shit. That's ridiculous. Like, but I don't know. We were just like cracking up at uh, all my emails asking for a different size shirt. And then I'd like go back and forth and change my mind several times over. It was a real delight. But hands down, the best part is this email we uncovered. And I don't think she listens to this podcast. And she is such an awesome girl. And like, I'm not going to say her name. This girl in our sorority wrote an email that like goes down in history. Um that I'll read to you because it's just it's so worth it. And it's nothing bad. It's just like the it's it's just token sorority rage when you're trying to plan an event, but you like need to be studying and writing papers and everyone else is out like, you know, playing beer pong with hairy rinse cups. And you are just like, why is nobody taking this thing seriously that I'm taking seriously? And she wrote this scathing email about muffins. And uh, it's it's just like it, it, this is this is my sorority in a nutshell. Like it was like half people that were really just there to have fun and half people that were there to like be in an upstanding national organization and to do philanthropic efforts and to like contribute to the campus. The latter is the better way to be. I fell more into the former. But again, after taking my Enneagram <laughs> upon finding out that I am for the individualist, which basically was like, hey, girl, you're a huge bitch. Like fours are like, you're very self-centered and obsessed with purpose and you don't go by other people's codes very well and you just like need to do your own thing. And I was like, yikes, need to look inward. But anyway, uh, I am such an individualist and I do have trouble abiding by what I think are arbitrary guidelines for how I should be when it's not really a reflection of how I want to be. And it's not that I wanted to be classy or be on uh, not classy and be on elevated services. I'm actually as tame as they come. But I think it was just like me being generalized into that group of like, if you're having fun, you're inappropriate. You're not being an exemplary example of who we want to be. Da, da, da. But I also think that part of me at this age was like maybe starting to figure out that a lot of what I learned at like church camps wasn't necessarily, uh, for lack of a better comparison, what I needed to accept as gospel. And I was starting to have what was only going to be a lifetime of bitterness toward uh, being taught at a young age that so much of life is about active restriction and how that affects your thought processes in a developmental age. Now, again, one of the best parents in the entire world. I went to these like crazy Southern Baptist church camps because I wanted to water ski. They taught me really weird stuff about like, 
your body and religion and men and sex and dating. And like it, it, it it's taken me years to unthink all of those things. And um, again, I think that I was I was seeing like patterns um, about trying to control what people do and how they behave against another organization's standards of how to be. And I feel like college is kind of about coming into your own and not becoming a duplicate of everybody else. And I was watching myself kind of become a duplicate of everyone else. And I don't know, I loved everybody the way they were. And I thought we were just like being young and wild and free and we weren't hurting anybody. And it just all felt very like, why Why are we coming here every week to get yelled at? Like, what's the point of all this? Again, I'm paying you. But anyway, it, it's been 10 years since this email. I think it's pretty funny and innocuous. Um, I do want to leave you with these very important words. Warning you of the perils of shared kitchens, of ignoring signage, of eating carbs, and of you know, subscribing to giant listservs where people reply all with reckless abandon at 1.30 in the morning. This is from February 2009. Subject line, absolutely, dot, dot, dot. Unacceptable. I am sorry that this is going to the whole listserv. I have no idea who was in the house today or tonight, but whoever ate the blueberry muffins tonight or today owes myself and blank a huge apology we have worked our butts off for this, and as I type this email, it is 1.30 a.m. I am making pigs in a blanket and setting up for tomorrow so I can go pick up more food at 8 a.m. from Kroger. Did I mention that I have a paper due in 12 hours that I have yet to start? <sighs> I am upset and angry that someone ate the muffins. There are numerous signs in the kitchen. We all know what is going on tomorrow. It is inexcusable. I probably wouldn't be this upset if I wasn't so tired, but seriously, this was really awful for me to realize at 1.30 a.m. Name. Signature. Not a strong ending. You know, guys, <laughs> I too am upset and angry that someone ate the muffins. I heard through the grapevine that my friend Claire ate the muffins, and I'm only saying that because she listens to this podcast and it's going to make her really mad. I really don't know who ate the muffins. Um, honestly, I didn't know anybody in my sorority ate carbs besides me. Uh, otherwise, why was I eating all those personal pan pizzas alone? Um, but, you know, I did not live in the house at the time. And I'm grateful for that because I think I would have been a strong contender. Like, I can just see somebody shouting down the hall being like, it was one of the mediums. Um, but I think that... Uh, Honestly, someone super drunk just came and like Buddy the Elf their way tore through sweets, shoveled shit in their mouth and like, you know, ignored signage. Like, I well, I appreciate the defense being like there was ample signage in all caps. Like, if there's one thing that's not going to stop stop a drunk person from an, a, a nice treat out in the open, it's signage. I mean, what drunk person has ever looked at a sign and been like, I respect that. You know, broken toilet won't flush. I'm not going to pee in that. I mean, like people who are drunk do whatever the hell they want. And um, I think my favorite part is uh, we have worked our butts off for this. And as I type this email, it is 1.30 a.m. And I am making pigs in a blanket. <laughs> so I'm just like, <laughs> if you're, if you're going to send a scathing email, make a, make a cooler sounding food. It's like, I am slaving away over these ants on a log. <laughs> 
I, I don't really know what would be a, a more interesting thing to be making, but it just seems like, you know, I don't know. Pop the crescent roll, cut them in half triangles, roll them up, put them in the oven. I don't know if my sympathy's there, but that's chill. You probably signed up to be a chair of this office. Um, the other thing that's funny is that it kind of uh, exemplifies my point of earlier about negotiating salaries and like switching jobs, how you have to make it about what you're uniquely adding, what value you're adding to this certain situation and not what your personal situation is because it becomes irrelevant. And then the argument is kind of null and void. And that's where I think I got lost is when, you know, I knew she was making pigs in a blanket. <laughs> sorry. But she said, did I mention that I have a paper due in 12 hours that I have yet to start? Like, that's that, that that's that's your cross to bear. Like, that's when you lost me. I get that it's annoying that Claire ate the muffins. <laughs> I don't know who ate the muffins. But like, you should have started your paper earlier or maybe not signed up for an office if you knew you had a paper due. And also 12 hours. Are you kidding me? I'd be like, uh, you know, listening to Jimmy Buffett, kicking my feet up, toes in the sand, drinking a margarita. I, I'd be like, I am on vacation until all this paper's due in three hours because that's when I started papers. I'm a big procrastinator and I do my best work when I have literally no time and I'm really playing touch and go with the upload speed when it's ultimately due. Um, but it's just, you know, I, I, I guess what it entailed is this person had to go back to Kroger at 8 a.m. and buy more muffins, which, you know, is hard. Um, what if they didn't have muffins? What if they, God forbid, only had cinnamon swirl? We all know blueberry is superior to chocolate chip, swirl of any kind. I'm not always in the mood for a sweet breakfast dish. I, I need a little bit of fruit. I, I don't need a full chocolate situation. Um, you know, what if they had to get donuts instead? I don't know if uh, donut, no, donuts are classy and fabulous, like Coco Chanel and all those signs that people hung up everywhere. It's really hard to say. But, you know, I just really think what this email taught me is that there's three types of people in this world. People who eat the muffins. <laughs> who forego any signage, any concept of why one might want their food untampered with and just drunkenly maul through any baked goods. Then there's people who are so organized, regimented, and who so cannot imagine not following rules that they write scathing emails about who ate the muffins. They're upset and angry that someone ate the muffins. And then there are people like me who just sit back and love every minute of these two people not getting along at all. And that's kind of what my four years in my sorority was like. A neutral party watching people just really not understand each other and wondering how they all got in the same place that apparently had the same values, yet we were just all completely different people. And that's part of the joy. And it teaches you how to get along with people. It teaches you how to work under a common framework regardless, because even if you are a free adult, you're like still going to have to abide by your company standards or values or whatever. There's a church. There's always going to be a subset of rules you might need to abide by and you don't always have to rage against them like I did in college and I think I learned to appreciate them eventually but this is why I love next door this is why I'm hopeful to get on a PTA chain later in life life is all about being involved enough that people don't think you're bailing but not too involved that they expect you there because then you spread yourself thin enough to where you become a bit of a novelty 
Then when you show up, people are like, oh, you're here. But they're not like, nice of you to show up. There's really a balance you have to play in a large group of people that tends to have a short fuse where you can like be cool with everyone, but not too close to anyone. So you're held accountable for things like buying muffins. It's it's really the best way to live. And the thing is, without the muffin buyers and the muffin ragers, we couldn't live. People like me are too neutral to like run the earth. The, 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 I'm I'm not the ideal way to be to like you know, be a captain of industry. But I am the ideal way to be if you want to sit back, eat popcorn and watch, you know, a, a bunch of moms rage on a PTA email chain. Like what a dream, what a life. I love when people get angry about a theme party. I love when people are upset about what baked goods you have to bring. I love when people need to collect volunteers for some god awful school event. And all you're like, I don't have time for this. And like, good on you. I, like, well, like, especially if you go to a private school, like, again, I'm your client. Figure out how to get the situation to run without me volunteering. I, I just, I don't understand. I mean, like, uh, youth soccer. Why do I got to cut the oranges? I mean, I don't know. It's like, can't there be somebody at the organization that does that if we're paying you to, like, let my kid play soccer? I'm going to be a great mother. Uh, <laughs> yikes. My sister's going to kill me for this whole segment. Um, please don't use this against me in the future. Should, you know, people ever be questioning my moral compass? I love children. I love my nephews and my niece. I want children. But I also have a hard time thinking that I'm ever just going to magically like going to sports games or preparing small bite-sized foods. Is that so crazy? I just don't think it's for everybody. And uh, I think those who... Some people like it and the rest are just too scared to admit they don't. <laughs> anyway, uh, my my role in my sorority was uh, called chaplain. And I do believe it was the person that was supposed to close the um, meetings with some sort of uh, spiritual reminder. Uh, I was kind of like the in-house clergy member. Which is a little bit weird, but like I said, I had like one foot in religion from church camps, but then like one foot in, you know, a, a more evolved freedom of thought I was kind of experiencing. And through being a part of another organization that felt restrictive, I felt called to push a very secular agenda. So while I was supposed to be going up and reading Bible verses, I'd read quotes by E.E. E. Cummings, Henry David Thoreau. I'd maybe throw in a Sarah Jessica Parker now and again, but just not say who the quote was by. I mean, you know, sometimes people just need to know that every girl is... <laughs> what is the quote? <laughs> um, it's like about... It's like maybe... Maybe some girls just need to run free until they find someone just as wild to run with them. Like I probably said, Eleanor Roosevelt said, well-behaved women rarely make history. It's like somebody was like crying, standing on a chair, praying for the integrity of our chapter because somebody danced on an elevated surface again. And I'm like, hey, girls, namaste, amen, etc. Uh, women who behave rarely make history. Just ahead. So keep on keeping on. Dance like nobody's watching. You're only as strong as the uh, cocktails you drink, the friends you keep, and the tables you dance on. So live for the nights you'll never remember with friends you'll never forget. Basically, I was like a giant inspirational aim buddy info window. Uh, and I had a great time. And it really kept people from getting mad at me. Again, huge strategy to remain a neutral party by default. Because I probably would play like the clergy card if somebody was like trying to wrap me up in the drama. But my entire point was that instead of to like side with the judgmental folks... If that we were like having an intense meeting and people were like crying, 
and saying we needed to be more classy um, than I would like, you know, last minute throw a curveball, dig a quote from my moleskin about, you know, he who cast the first stone and make it a very convenient narrative to my particular friend group. As every good clergy member does. Like, I'm a monster. Why am I admitting this? Anyway, guys. <laughs> um, wait, last, uh, the last thing I have to say about the weekend that just like, made me roll over. I, couldn't, I can't. Is um, the... <laughs> One of my friends, I like, never want to say people's names because I don't know if you guys want me to talk about you. Um, except I said Claire ate the muffins. Sorry, girl. Thanks for taking me to the airport last weekend. Um, I, one of my friends is so sweet and so like positive and upbeat she's like everyone's token like cheerleader of a friend she's my best friend in the entire world and she's such a doll and she like she has this funny thing where she'll mess up like figures of speech but she like knows it it's always been like such an entertaining thing um and she was looking back at her um She was looking back at her uh, <laughs> um, Facebook album titles, which I encourage everybody to do. Please, for the love of God, send me your best, most inappropriate, weirdest ones to podcast at be there in five.com. We'd love to hear it. We'd love to hear your sorority stories, sorority emails, anything funny you ever want to send that you think shareable, please send to me. You get a kick out of this stuff. Um, one of her Facebook album <laughs> titles was still very much alive and kicking. It was a for Halloween photos that she was sharing. Um, and, you know, because a breathing's cool and you want to be like hip, you don't want to have the album say exactly what it is. She decided to name <laughs> the album Ween Picks, <laughs> which if for the out for, for the objective eye, you know, literally sounds like wiener picks, which. You know, nobody really calls that a ween, but the concept of like the sweet, like perfect human, just like, you know, an employer searching through your profile. And it's just like so-and-so accomplished. Look at all the stuff I did. Here's some ween pics. I just like, I can't. I like love that that's been there for 10 years. I'm obsessed with all these things we all didn't know we were doing. I know I have so many of them, I'm sure. It's just like, you have a lot of growing to do through your own sense of humor and through the way you, you, you display things online. And, you know, you're, the inside jokes are so hard to pin down and so hard to, you know, understand out of context. But anyways, uh, good times all around. I, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I'm sorry if it was a little insular, but I thought they were fun stories from the weekend. I wanted to catch you up. Oh, and then the other part of the, the story I never finished. Uh, I'll hop off soon. Um was that I went to New York last week for some book press. I know it's been out for months, but like a lot, there was a lot of issues with the release of the book. A lot of press got like canceled when the date got pushed back. That was hard to reschedule. Uh, there's just like a lot of issues with publicity. So, you know, still uh, hitting the pavement. And um, I did, I recorded a podcast with, I don't know if I'm like supposed to say, because it's not coming out for a few weeks. Uh, and I hope it comes out and I don't want to jinx myself. But like, what if it was a terrible episode and they don't want to use it? But I did tell people in the Facebook group because I was excited because they were so nice and I had so much fun. So I'll let you know when that comes out. It's fun to be a guest on other people's podcasts, even though it gives me like crippling anxiety that I've said or did something weird. Like, even if I'm not drinking and I'm being totally normal, like when the mic comes on, I kind of black out and I have a really hard time remembering what I talked about. 
on this, on my normal podcast or anybody's. And then you have that pit when you walk away. You're like, did I say anything weird out of context? Was I too negative? Uh, my sense of humor is a little self-deprecating and be like a little bit piling on of a topic where I'll like exaggerate how much I don't like something for like the comedy of it when I really don't really care that much. But I guess, you know, whatever. Hopefully people are cool. Uh, I honestly just overthink everything, I assume. But, you know, it's it's like hard to be a likable person, you know? And especially when you're with other people that are like so funny and so great and good at what they do. You're like, I'm but a troll. But, you know, things I got to snap out of. And again, apparently the feedback, like this one person thinks I'm just like so self-deprecating. I need to talk about how great I am. I think I'm great. I really do. I wouldn't be doing all this if I didn't think I'm great. But I just try to be transparent with you. Like just because you, you start to get better or more like larger platform interviews or you do things that are like crossing off bucket list items. It doesn't mean you're not incredibly nervous and it doesn't mean you're worried you didn't do them right. And it doesn't mean like I feel any differently. I It's like, I don't know, it's just interesting. But like, I also like I had so much fun recording that podcast and I'm excited for you to hear it because I really do think it'll be fun. And, you know, hopefully I'm not too weird. Um, but the other thing I did is I was uh, I had a couple meetings and I also had. Uh, I did one on Sirius XM with Michelle Collins on thursday morning which is on demand for the next two weeks if you want to hear it even with like a free subscription of a serious app and like i love her i've always been a fan of her as like a comedian and i think i i don't know if i got familiar with her when she was on the view which isn't usually like where i go for like my uh you know fun gal pal comedians but she was like such a breath of fresh air i thought on that show and uh then she um hosted the bachelor in paradise after show she hosts the 90 day fiance after shows not to be confused with the very tense sean robinson who clearly doesn't watch the show and looks at the people with like horror and disgust as they say the things they did whereas michelle like watches and she asks questions like as if she's one of the viewers and she always just made me laugh because she kind of disarms the uh guests by like it'll be some weird friend of a 90 day fiance cast member who's like not talking and is being awkward and she's like Tracy, open up, have fun. You're wearing a jumpsuit. You're here. I'm here. We're I just feel like she has this style that's like funny and informal, but she's still a professional. And like, I don't know, she just always made me laugh on these after shows. And uh, it's in her my book and she had talked about it on the show. It was really cool. Yeah. So I went on to talk more about it, among other things. And she kept me on for like an hour and a half. And it was like so fun. And um, it was fun to be like in the machine because I'd never done live radio. And what I do here, like, I feel like I'm on the radio, but I'm not really on the radio. And like, what a dream job that is. I could talk about pop culture all the live long day, especially with somebody as dynamic and kind and hilarious as her. And I'm just very grateful to people that are willing to have people like me on who aren't the biggest names, the most popular people, but who, you know, are willing to argue that they've done something interesting or they have something to say. And I'll prove my own once I get there and if you disagree, you know, don't air it or don't have me on again. But I appreciate being given the chance. And like, I will just never forget anybody who ever does. And it just like means a lot to me. You know, I think it's cool because there's so many people that are fighting for your attention at all times to be featured or to promote their junk. And when people are kind to up and comers, it just it like makes all the difference. Otherwise, we're just going to have a world where Dak Shepard, Conan O'Brien and Lauren Conrad dominate the podcast charts. <laughs> like literally every existing famous person is getting a podcast, which is fine. There's enough room for everybody. But my point is not that 
we need to add room for these people that are already famous. It's that they already are taking up so much space. And it becomes a matter of how much space do you want to continue to take up that takes away from other people's ability to like squeeze in there and just makes everybody's interest more fragmented. Like Lauren Conrad, you were on a huge show and you have a huge website and you have the little mark and you've done awesome things with your fame. And I will never contest any of that, even though I'm a little bit mad because you copied some of my mats at one point. But like, you're going to have an existing huge audience because you have an existing huge audience that are going to listen to your podcast independent of quality. And I'm sure it'll be great. And I support you wholeheartedly. And if you ever invite me on yours, I will delete this. But my point is like, it becomes so hard for small people to get people's interest when there's so much out there to be listening to. And podcasts at one point were kind of like this forum where smaller voices could get bigger audiences because there was less to choose from. And now it's getting harder and harder. And no, I'm not bitter. No, I'm not saying nobody should try. But it is interesting where it's just it's very difficult to get your name out there and to get people to pay attention to you and for people to not just tap into the existing pool of existing fame, popularity, talent, whatever that, you know, is already around. And that's a safe bet. But anyway, guys, I have some fun guests planned for the next um, couple months on this podcast that I'm really excited for different conversations, different topics. I'm going to change it up a little bit. Um, I'll always have my stream of consciousness ones, but I do feel like more is like coming out of like when I have conversations with other people. And, uh, you know, we'll just see where it goes. Give me your feedback. Email podcast to be there in five dot com. F I V E, not the number. We'll we'll test and we'll learn and we'll Theranos the whole thing and see what works out. I'm just kidding. Bad joke. I was insensitive. People's, you know, health records were botched. But yeah, anyway, I apologize. This podcast didn't come out last week. I, I was just after New York. I don't know. I think after like the not sleeping in the bachelorette party and like a lot of like, you know, nerves and adrenaline and doing different things and like. My hotel was like weirdly a walk up, which like I thought when I left New York the first time when I was young, I'd never be in a walk up again, only to come back thinking I was going to marry Tyler Moore the whole thing. And like I'm walking back up four flights of stairs. It was not great. But for those who are wondering, it was called the So Hotel. It was really cute, really nice. Exposed brick, clean, boutique cute Instagrammable lobby, nice staff. Like it had all that I needed. It was around $200 a night, which is kind of where I'm trying to stay, which is very hard in New York. But it, it it should have said in flashing lights there was no elevator. And meanwhile, I'm like, could I have a high floor? I'm Samantha. And like, no, like who asked? They're like, yeah, sure. I was like, oh, cool. I don't know. I just like a high floor. I like a view. Um, and I'm sure they were like, you know, they're just running on empties because who wants to walk up five flights of stairs? Um, but anyway, so yeah, after I just like did not feel good the past few days and I just never got a podcast out and I'm sorry and I love you. Self-care, you know, it, it comes first sometimes. I knew you'd forgive me. I knew you're, you're always here and that's why I love you. Um, I think, too, my problem is like I'll go meet up with people and they'll be like, want to get drinks? And I'm like, yeah, but then I'll forget that I'm never going to eat before I get drinks and I just get drinks and I, I'm like starving and then i just never eat it's not because i'm not hungry i like can't get a full meal in not because i don't want one it's just because you're kind of going from thing to thing and you kind of feel weird like stopping for a minute and you know taking down a full jersey mics which that sounds so good right now jersey mics is really overlooked in the wake of you know jimmy john's and some of these other sandwiches that are either delivered or more high-end that are out there but Jersey Mike's really understands condiment ratios and um, they really understand the value of, of a cold sandwich. I, I don't always need my sandwiches hot. It's called a cold cut for a reason. And with the right amount of oil and vinegar and oregano and white non-grilled onions and uh, mustard and mayo mixed together on the top, not separated. Mustard, I think, can be overpowering on its own. And I'm talking yellow, not deli. 
mixed with mustard. It's like this perfect creamy, almost like whatever Thousand Island is in a mustard form, because Thousand Island is just ketchup and mayo mixed, right? And then, you know, on a soft roll, and I like to cut the half, the half in half. And so then I feel like I have two sandwiches, even though I'm eating a half sandwich. And that's not like a weird, you know, weird creepy eating thing. It's just more so like a an excitement thing for the fun to keep going. And um, I just come to speak higher of Jersey Mike's. Huge fan. I get the turkey. I think it's the number six. It's a wild sandwich. It is turkey. It is provolone. And, and some lettuce. <laughs> and then you add your toppings on and that's it. I'm really adventurous. Uh, we've come a long way since Alinea, clearly. But anyway, guys. Okay. I'm going to head out. I hope you enjoyed Elon Musk's new hit single called Harambe. One of my favorite pieces of 2016 lore. Uh, Not that he died, but, you know, that was just a big conversation and like child versus gorilla. I mean, I I guess I won't say where I fall, but typically I'm going to side with child. Should he have fallen in the pen? No. Should his parents be watching him? Yes. Do I feel good about killing a gorilla? Of course not. You guys know. If you listen to my holiday Patreon, my sister thinks it's weird. I love to go to the Lincoln Park Zoo and watch the gorillas. I think it's weird how human-like they are. I love watching them interact with their children. I feel very sad that they're, like, in a cage. But I also I gather that they're actually very happy there. And there's good reason they're there. And they were rescued from somewhere. So please don't come at me if you're anti-zoo. But, you know, it, it, it's it's a tough song to listen to. It's completely auto-tuned. It's very T-Pain. I mean, like, I actually think it's catchy. It was in my head last night. Greg and I gave it a solid four to six listens. It's only two and a half minutes long. It's on SoundCloud. It's um a real it's a real joy and delight. And Elon Musk has really gone off the rails ever since the Azalea Banks of it all. And it's like at one point, this man I respected so much and just was like, what a visionary. He'd be at my dinner table of five people that people ask in an icebreaker. Who would it be? Which I hate that as an icebreaker question. Talk about, you know, a, a reason to judge you to like pick four other people to eat with dead or alive. Like, I know you want to eat with me, Ma, but she's not really going to mean anything to like your new boss. So impress her and say you want to, you know, be having a meal with like, I don't know, Clara Barton. Eh, that's kind of boring. What'd she find? The Red Cross. I mean, good for her. Happy for her. Thank you. God bless. Thoughts and prayers. But like, you got to pick somebody like kind of relevant to, you know, your industry or something that would be impressive that shows you're like smart, but not cliche smart. Because if you're like Alexander Graham Bell, I really like my phone. I'd be like, cool. You, you know, you finished elementary school. We all know who that is. You got to pick somebody a little bit more astute. And so I'm going to think about mine and then maybe address this on a different episode, because I actually don't have a good answer for that. And you know how I feel like we all need to have our uh, uh, icebreaker answers like locked and loaded favorite movie favorite show fun fact about you two truths one lie you know you got to be ready because those first impressions uh, you don't get another chance and when you're like i don't know like in like pulling your sleeves i'm like come on this can't be the first time you've done this tell me something remotely interesting about yourself and it's not interesting that you recently went to thailand it's just not i like i'm proud of you i know people like to travel hashtag wanderlust but like Travel isn't a fun fact. I, I haven't been to Thailand. Trust me, I'm not being pretentious when I say this. I, I have not been anywhere near Southeast Asia, and I want to go. I haven't had the opportunity to. So this does not come from a place of privilege. This comes from a place of like, yeah, people go cool places. But like, tell me a story about Thailand or like something crazy that happened there. Or tell me something meaningful that happened in your life or, you know, a time you won a quirky contest or like, I don't know. It's just like you got to pet a sedated tiger. Good for you proud of you anyway guys all right i should head out don't forget to support the podcast patreon.com slash be there in five f-i-v-e not the number follow me at be there in five on instagram 
And uh, thanks to all of you for who voted for us for the FedEx Small Business uh, Contest. There's a link in my bio to my profile. If you happen to catch this on April 1st, this is the last day. I thought it was yesterday. It's not. You can vote once a day. So if you want to go vote, that would be awesome. Basically, FedEx takes the people who have a lot of enough votes and then they kind of figure it out themselves. So I didn't do it toward the end and very be there in five fashion. Um, so I don't know, but it was worth a shot and it would mean a lot to me. And thank you so much to all of you guys who voted and shared. That was so awesome of you. Um, and don't forget to support our sponsors. Catch the automated HR department for people in employment situations that don't have access to tr traditional benefits like uh, 401ks and insurance and where to put away money for investments or paying off school loans. All sorts of stuff. It helps you identify where you should be putting your money and where you shouldn't be and kind of acts as that automated benefit service for you. So go to catch.co slash be there in five to get Rent the Runway Unlimited, which was a godsend this week because I was in New York and I forgot a coat like a moron. So when I got there, I ran right to Rent the Runway Unlimited. I swapped out one of my shirts and I got a coat and then I was warm and I was like, this was great. I didn't have to buy anything. Otherwise, I would have had to buy a Statue of Liberty sweatshirt at the airport, which eh, kind of would have been awesome. I kind of love the irony of a bad tourist get up um so if you want uh 80 off your two months of rent the runway unlimited and that's not that's the dresses the ball gowns cocktail dresses and all the regular clothes uh, blazers pants tops coats jewelry handbags you name it it's kind of like your work wardrobe um it's kind of like such a delight to not shop anymore like i honestly don't shop anymore and i feel like i was kind of shopping out of urgency before and buying things i didn't like that much or that weren't that sustainable or that were from amazon and now i'm just like cash wearing you know 600 blouses and acting like i'm a person that says the word blouse it's amazing um kk40 is my code again and uh yeah thanks so much as always for tuning in this week i hope you liked this episode I hope to be back a little later this week. And uh, as always, let me know your thoughts and I will let you know mine. I'll be there in five. I swear. about you we back at the zoo man thinking about you man where my girl is at we miss you